You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Dan Bayer's interview with the writer and director of the film Aviva, Boaz Yakin. I want to tell you about my best friend in the world. I'm an actress. I mean, I'm acting right now. I'm acting in this because given all the dancing that's going to be happening, we thought it'd be more viable for the dancers to pull off the acting required than vice versa. And the part I'll be playing or playing a part of is also, for purposes of identification, a man. My name is Eden. And that is Aviva. Aviva, I'm home. Hey, <laughs> I was just about to go to sleep. Eva, I'm sorry. You could have come. It's just the guy. It's all right. I'm sorry, too. I know you need to breathe once in a while. Everything is always changing. I want to be with someone who I want for once in my life. Not who you want, who I want, and who wants me. what to do. I don't even know who I am anymore in this stupid country. I'm doing something wrong. You're not doing anything wrong. Yes, I am. Hello and welcome everybody to the Next Best Picture podcast, where we are having an interview with the writer and director of the new film Aviva, Boaz Yakin. Boaz, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, all things considered. Thanks, Daniel. <laughs> all things considered, indeed. Um, the world is a very crazy place right now, but movies are still coming out. They're still coming out and being released for us to see in the comfort or not so much of our own homes. And Aviva is certainly one of the more interesting, experimental, but accessible films that has come out in recent months. Um, And I can't, I'm very excited to get to talk to you about it. Thank you. Uh, Likewise. Yeah. Um, par- a large part of the reason why I'm so interested to talk to you about it is because this is so different in subject matter and style than the other films you've written and directed. Um, a Price Above Rubies, Remember the Titans, Max, Boarding School. Um, and I was curious about what the impetus for this movie was. Where did, where did Aviva come from? Well, you know, I, I come from a pretty eclectic background in terms of like creative influences. My parents are like movement teachers and minds, and I grew up with physical theater uh, as part wow. of my life. Um, and I've been influenced by and loved all kinds of different films. You know, I, I have definitely found myself in a place when you mentioned the films that I've made and so on, where, you know, it's very hard in, in the American system to make, ex- you know, I hate the word experimental because it seems right. to put people off, but <laughs> movies that like push the boundaries and, and kind of break the form and, and, and go emotional and physical places that movies don't always go. It's hard to do those things here mm-hmm. and um, have a career. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so um, 
I have often found myself making films that, of course, I, I did my best with and put myself into in some ways, but that are, you know, much more straight down the middle than what I'm really interested in. Um, mm. I've written a lot of scripts and done a lot of experimenting that's never gotten out there. So it almost seems like that's just not something that's been in my mind. Um, but every once in a while, with a movie like Death and Love or Boarding School or this, I really go for it, you know, um, and try to do something different. And, um, you know, this is a product of just saying, hey, I cannot keep doing this unless I get to really express what I think movies can be and what I think, you know, storytelling can be in the medium and have fun with it. And, and I, I managed to pull it together. Yeah, uh, pull it together indeed. Um, this this concept of this movie, where it's a relationship between two people that are both being played by both a man and a woman, it it really is something new and different from anything else that I think we've seen. And what did that particular idea come to you? Where where did that where did that come from? Well, I mean, in some ways, from I mean, obviously it's a very personal film, although I've tried to make it as universal as possible mm-hmm. because I think we all deal with this. But, you know, from my own struggle and relationships to sort of balance the inner masculine and feminine that I felt and how it always seems to be a problem that I have with my partner, you know, where like mm. the masculine and feminine balance always seems to be off or like struggling in a certain way. And and I think this is something that we all deal with, um, whether we're, you know, heterosexual couples or homosexual couples. Each person has a masculine-feminine duality in them, and it's always mm-hmm. at play in relationships. Um, and I've never, you know, it's something I've always dealt with and struggled with. And, and there's this, actually, this movie that I saw in college that I love um, that Louis Benwell made called That Obscure Object of Desire. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that movie, he cast two young women as the same character and like randomly switches them in order to convey the sort of the man, the lead man, like just basically his inability to get a, you know, bead on her or, or, yeah. or, or get a hold of her in a way or figure out who he's dealing with. Um, and and I, I always thought that was really interesting. And when I was thinking of dealing with this issue, I was like, man, I want to make a film where basically the two disparate sides of the person that aren't quite gelling are just literally played by two different actors, but I want to take it a step further than he did where it's like, Mm -hmm. they're actually going to play together in the same scenes. And if other people in the scenes relate to them, it's not like one of them is in the other person's mind, like something in fight club or whatever it is, where it's like an imaginary person. It's a theatrical concept. It's like two people playing the same character. And if other people are in the scene, they'll talk to both of them. Um, And then I was like, let me do that with both of the two characters. <laughs> and for, for, for a while, I was like, I have to tell that story, but I couldn't quite find a way in. And I'd also been wanting to make a dance movie. And I talked to a friend of mine, this guy, Louis Venosta, who was a, a, used to be a dancer. Mm-hmm. And I told him I was trying to figure out these two ideas. And he was like, why don't you make that the dance movie? Mm-hmm. And I was like, aha. <laughs> and I literally went home and like, I literally went home and wrote it in like three weeks. And I was like, like four weeks. And I was like, this is the movie. I, I get it. Um, so the dance was sort of my way into being able to justify 
the the completely theatrical mm. nature and and like while keeping it cinematic in the way we shot it. I yeah. I guess when I say theatrical, I mean like not trying to be like pretend that it's happening for real or anything sure. like that. Yeah. So so anyway, so that that's a little bit of the. I don't know if that's too much or too little the <laughs> genesis of, of coming up with this thing. No, no, it's perfect. Um, so, so the dance, it was sort of always a piece of the movie that it would be part of the story would be told through dance or it would be used to further the story and the characters, but were all the different dance scenes in the movie always in the script or did that come about later when you started working with uh, Bobby Jean Smith on the choreography? Well, no, I, I knew in terms of like where they are in the movie, mm-hmm. like structurally, like where the scenes yeah. are placed and how they're, I wrote that into the script, like, you know, but of course that's like, you know, writing, you know, as they walk through the streets of New York, they dance and then right. writing voiceover, like, <laughs> it's okay, now what are you going to do? Um, so I knew I needed somebody great to kind of integrate dance into this in a way that I think dance hasn't ever really been used in a narrative film. Because mm-hmm. dance is usually very presentational. It's yes. Like, Ta-da, here's the dance, you know. In fact, one of the only times I've really seen it worked into the structure of the piece really well is in West Side Story, mm. um, where the dance actually tells a story and moves it forward and tells you what's happening with the characters and so on. Mostly it's like story, stop for a dancing, story, stop for a dancing. <laughs> yeah. When I saw Bobby's work, when, when a friend of mine basically introduced me to her work, I, I was just this, I have to work. And I was still writing a script, by the way. And I was like, mm. I have to meet this person. And I met with Bobby and we hit it off and she agreed to do it. And, and she became my partner once the script was like yeah. the, her whole vision of how to make dance so emotional and so organic is what allowed the movie to feel the way it does. But yeah, but the, the, the dance scenes were always written into the script and structurally in the script where they are now in the movie. It really, the movie really does feel like a true, and it, in a way that I feel like theater often does more than film. I feel like a real collaboration between you and Bobby Jean Smith um, with the choreographer. I mean, is, is, especially since choreography for the camera is such a different specific skill set than choreographing for an audience, you know, be it proscenium or in the round or whatever, because her work has gone (laughs) just about the whole gamut of things that you can do in um, that kind of performance. So how, how did you approach working with her on the, choreography um and what was the rehearsal process like because i imagine it was somewhat intense well that was the biggest challenge was that once i decided to make the movie and we knew we needed to shoot at a certain point in the summer based actually not on my schedule but on her schedule Mm -hmm. um you know and the fact that it was quite a low budget film although it doesn't look as low budget as it was because we just went everywhere like you know um but we only had six weeks. She had six weeks to prepare all the dances and all the choreography and everything. And, and, you know, she really was my partner in the sense that like everyone in the movie is cast through Bobby. There are people she worked with in Bacheva dance company. There are people she worked with in a show 
uh, called Sleep No More, you know, mm. that, that yep. kind of like um, interactive, so to yeah. speak, dance uh, show in New York. Anyhow, so she only had six weeks and she needed time to prepare things and I needed time to see what they were. And we often found it challenging to get it all done in time. So there was a bunch of scenes where, I mean, a couple of the main dances, like the one in the bar and the what, like mm. I saw some rehearsal for, so I could prepare myself mentally for what the kind of shooting I was going to need to do to get it like, but half the dances in the movie, I pretty much saw on the day that we got to the set. Wow. Um, I mean, a lot of, them, not all of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. a bunch of them. I was like, all right, what are we doing today? Like, and, and some of the ba- dances, like the whole opening thing where you see them dancing through the streets sure. were improvised. Like I picked, I found the locations. I knew what we were, where we were going to go. And then Tyler or Zena would sort of improvise, but you know, improvise is a weird word because those dancers are so experienced. Yeah. And they talk to Bobby about what they're looking to do emotionally. They're bringing such a language with them, a, a movement language with them. But for me, a lot of times, and the great young director of photography, this guy, Arsenio Kachaturin, who yes. could not have done this movie without we would just literally see what they were doing and be like, okay, how about you do this with the camera? And then after that, do this. And we were making it up on the fly. Like most of the time. That's so exciting. (laughs) And and that's, and that's really, really uh, honestly incredible because that first, that first scene when he's dancing through New York and she's dancing through France, it, it really feels like that was choreographed yeah i gotta go back to my notes to to see this because it it really feels like he's reaching for her and she's like giving with her arms i it's very hard to believe that that was well i mean bobby definitely worked with him yeah feeling but Uh like tyler did all of this stuff on locations in new york right like i i I looked for interesting locations Mm -hmm. and, and like did all that stuff and then it was like, okay, a few months later, or actually it was like a, a month later, we went to Paris with Zena, who hadn't even been there for Tyler's stuff. But I knew and Bobby knew what Tyler had done in New York. Mm. So we could talk to Zena about what the emotion was in the various bits so that she could improvise on that emotion, having even not seen what he was doing in the other location. And then, frankly, to give credit, another bit of credit where credit is due, <laughs> our editor, Holly Singer, who I worked with on movies, yes. is a, an incredible music video and commercial editor. This is like her first feature, but she's cut videos with the best directors and with the best like musicians and artists. And her ability to like edit dance and movement is really superb. Wow. So we were able to like take the raw material of Tyler's stuff and Zena's stuff and kind of create this feeling that they were dancing together. It's really incredible. Or, you know, to each other. So to speak. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a pro, you know, I've never made any movie where I just basically said as much. I mean, every movie's like, like, look, this script is a blueprint mm-hmm. and then we're going to get to the set and I'll see what happens and we'll make it up as we go along, like mm-hmm. in the day of shooting. Like I didn't have a shot list. I didn't know how I was going to cover the scenes until I got to the set. Mm. And I really, it was both scary and really fun being that loose with how we approach making the film. I can imagine. And, and a, a lot of these scenes, especially the dance scenes, they feel really site specific. And were, were they all shot on location or were any of those locations sets 
for lack of a better word. No, I mean, everything was lo- locations. I mean, like, okay, it's going to be a bar scene. Wow. Let's find a bar that's big enough, for- <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and get a camera in there, Yeah, um, you know, and, and uh, not have to put too much lighting in because we could, you know, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but everything was sort of done. I mean, and all the stuff on the streets was like, literally, I mean, it's nice in New York. You don't really need permits unless you're going to block off traffic. So we were just like, fuck it, let's go in the street and dance and shoot stuff. And, you know, if people look at the camera, they look at the camera. We don't care. And we just shot in New York. In Paris, we didn't even tell anyone what we were doing. We just went down the street and started shooting. Um, Amazing. So it was was very, very... Guerrilla filmmaking. I love it. Guerrilla filmmaking. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's incredible. To kick it back a little, um, there is obviously the for lack of a better word, disclaimer at the beginning of the movie that all of the performers that we're going to see are dancers as opposed to actors. Um, But these performances, even for the camera, feel incredibly naturalistic. And even when they have to go to these really dark places and sometimes very abstract places given the conceit that they're working in and these are all obviously very talented dancers and i think there is sometimes a misconception that that dancers are just dancers and it's a different skill set from acting but actually they're very connected but even still i thought these performances were very impressive thank you so how did you work with um, with Bobby and Zena and Tyler and uh, or to to get to those really deep moments. Well, they're they're all look they're all really talented. Mm-hmm. A lot of I forget which famous director said that like you know ninety percent of directing actors is casting, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. basically finding the right person to convey that character. And this this was tricky in the sense that like each person was playing part of a character, yeah. you know, and at the same time it had to be fleshed out within themselves. But, you know, aside from the fact that the, as dancers, they weren't the most experienced actors, what I think really being dancers enabled them to do, look, there's a lot of sexual stuff. There's a lot of physical yes. stuff. There, there, there are things that, that American actors emotionally even, and just like physically won't allow themselves to do or explore. Like they're mm. too self-conscious. They're too, it's not a criticism. It's, it's, a, it's a reality of our business and, and how it is, but they, they just won't quote unquote go there, mm. you know? And these characters, these actors and dancers, they were all willing to go anywhere that their emotions and minds took them. And I think that the rawness and their availability is what you see on screen. Mm. It's not, it's not quite the same thing. It's like a super skilled actor who's done it for years. Like, you know, it's more like really genuine because they're all really genuine people. And that's something I can say. They're, they're such genuine people. If you knew Tyler or Bobby or, or Zena, like there isn't a thing about them that's ironic, that is distant, that is like, and so when they came, they were just so available to try and explore what these characters were feeling, I think that's what you're feeling when you see it on screen, you know? Yeah, I think that there is a sense that they're very, they're being so open at, at, if not with each other in the scene, then at least to the camera. And they were scared, no doubt about it. They they were, I mean, because they were really exposing a lot of themselves emotionally. I mean, aside from the physical, aside from the physical, Mm -hmm. you know, um, they were exposing a lot of themselves emotionally and physically, you know, 
And it's different doing a show when you're naked and everyone goes home and then when you know you're not, <laughs> your, your body's going to be on the internet for the next, you know, as long as there's electronic yeah. <laughs> energy. In the, um, so it, it asked a lot of them and they all really, they really embraced it. Yeah, well, it's it's just incredible, and especially again, like some of those really difficult places that you had them go in the script. It's it, it's mind boggling, but it it all comes across. Awesome, man! Thank you. It's been incredible, and I think there's a lot at play here thematically in the movie. And I mean, even when it just the concept of having both a man and a woman playing the same role, I it speaks to a lot. I think it speaks a lot to transgender people at the current moment and a lot to um, even, you know, bisexual or homosexual people about a lot of this hiding sometimes that I think we have to do. And I'm just wondering what what's the ultimate message that you want people to get from this film? Well, I don't know that there's a message in the sense of like one specific takeaway as much as opening yourself up and making, allowing yourself to become vulnerable to the fact that there is a complexity and a duality and a challenge in loving yourself. And that when you can succeed in loving yourself, you can embrace the other. And when you are struggling within yourself to embrace and accept yourself, you have a harder time accepting the other, you know, and that's true in a love relationship or in a sociopolitical context, you know, I mean, it sounds like, you know, like foo-foo talk, whatever, but <laughs> the fact that there is racism and homophobia and all that, it's all because people are insecure and hate themselves. Yeah. That simple. It's that simple. There isn't a damn person that genuinely likes themselves that hates somebody else, um, you know, for no reason. <laughs> and, 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 and this movie is about the struggle within the self and by finding a way to kind of reconcile or at least make an attempt to reconcile the disparate parts of yourself, have some kind of hope at being able to be a better partner, a better person in the context of your relationships with other people. I think that's a, a perfect note to end this on, um, a perfect message for the current state of the world that we find ourselves in as well um so boaz thank you so much for talking with us and i can't wait to see what comes next <laughs> oh and thanks thank you so much for your kind words man. uh anytime uh, what is next for you do, do you know yet <laughs> we are in some crazy times right now yes and we I'm are just, <laughs> just working on like figuring out my next steps myself it's it's a very challenging moment Yes, that that it is, that it is. Well, again, thank you, and um, can't wait to see what's next, and can't wait to see what else comes from everyone involved with this movie. Thank you. I appreciate it. Very welcome. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Dan Baer's interview with the writer and director of the film Aviva, Boaz Yakin, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.